At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today we're going to be back into the book of 2 Corinthians. If you've been with us over the last number of weeks, you know that throughout 2023 we've been studying the book of 2 Corinthians and talking about how we have the privilege by the grace of God to join Jesus on mission and to endure on that mission of spreading everywhere a knowledge of him. One of the ways that we do that is is through our finances. The resources that God has entrusted to each of us that we would steward those according to his plan. And in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, we see this section of 2 Corinthians that focuses in on this area of finances. And we've been looking at this over the last couple of Sundays. Now, so far, previously on Mission Fund, what have we seen? Well, we've seen that we are challenged to give sacrificially, just as the Macedonians gave sacrificially, so we also might give sacrificially. And we've seen that our giving is to model the one that we are following. It is to follow the giver, to follow Jesus in this regard. And that we are not just to have a desire to give, but we also are to plan to act on our desire to give. And that a portion of our giving would be to help brothers and sisters in Christ out by helping to alleviate needs that they have at different times. And so, so far in our study of 2 Corinthians, this is what we have seen about finances in chapters 8 and 9. Today we're going to be in part 3 of this series, beginning in chapter 8, verse 16. But before we, we look at those verses together, I just want to admit that as a, as a pastor, talking about giving can be challenging. It can be challenging. And the reason why it's challenging is that we all have different experiences when it comes to relating to pastors and ministries and money. And sometimes our experiences have not been positive. There are examples that we have seen in culture and maybe even in our personal lives where pastors have been really more interested in fleecing the flock than in feeding the flock. And if that's the case, then then there is a lack of trust between churches and pastors and congregations when it comes to financial resources. Now, this is not something that's new to our time. This is something that has been going on since the beginning of the church. And Paul, who was one of the leaders of some of the very first churches that were started, was concerned about this issue of trust and funds. And so he writes to the Corinthians in the midst of asking them to participate financially in this offering that he was collecting. And and he says this to them in chapter 8, verse 21. He says, For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Paul was concerned not just to be square with the Lord and honest before him, but he also wanted to make sure that those in the congregations where he served also understood the care that Paul would take related to the financial offerings of the churches. Now, today, our plan is to look at Paul's defense of his handling of funds. And for us to look at them, not only for us to understand how the, the Corinthians had confidence in Paul, but for us also to see a pattern for how this might play out in our church today. So we're going to look today at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 
verses 16 down through chapter 9, verse 5. And this will be in part 3 of this series. So let me begin by reading these verses for us. And then after I read them, we'll back up and I'll make a couple of observations about these pas- this passage today. Chapter 8, beginning in verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes and says this, But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care that I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and they find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and to arrange in advance for the gift that you had promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. Now, friends, in these few verses today, I want us to see two things about Paul's defense of his use of these finances as well as how they connect to our lives today. So what's the first thing we need to see? The first thing we see is this. Paul was building trust funds. He was building trust through funds. And we see this at the end stages of chapter 8. Now, we need to remember that there is a connection between trust and giving. If you don't trust an organization, it's very difficult to give to them. If you don't trust a congregation, it's very difficult to to give financially to that congregation. If we don't trust a missionary, it's difficult for us to give to that missionary. And so trust is a very important thing. And Paul goes out of his way here to talk about why they should trust this offering that he is collecting. Remember, Paul was collecting among the Corinthians, but also among the Macedonians, and also among those in Asia. He was collecting an offering that would ultimately be delivered to the believers who were in Jerusalem who were suffering because of persecution and famine. So Paul was going around to the churches, and he was collecting these resources to deliver on their behalf to the church in Jerusalem. But why should they trust him? Why should they have any faith in him? Well, Paul makes the argument for why in the verses that we just read. So, how does Paul do it? How does Paul build this trust? Well, the first thing he does is he builds trust by introducing them to the team. 
Paul wants them to know that it's not just Paul who is handling these funds. As a matter of fact, it's not even Paul primarily who is handling these funds. But there's a whole team of people that are being assembled to both collect these offerings and to deliver them to Jerusalem. Well, who was on this team? Well, one of the people who was on this team was Titus. Now, how many of you have ever heard of Titus before? Yeah, he's kind of famous. He had a, a letter written to him by Paul that's included in our New Testament. Paul uh, or Titus was a leader in the early church with Paul. He traveled with him often. We see in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 1 that Paul made a trip to Jerusalem to meet up with the leaders of the early church. And, and Titus, who was a Gentile convert, was with him and helped in that meeting. Part of that meeting, we believe, from Acts chapter 11 was the delivery of the first offering that Paul had collected among the church at Antioch to give to the suffering believers in Jerusalem. So Titus had some experience with this kind of thing. But Titus wasn't just familiar to Paul. Titus was also familiar to the Corinthians. Remember back in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 in our study, we, we saw that Paul wrote a stern letter to the Corinthians to challenge them about some sin that was in their midst. And who delivered that stern letter? It was Titus who delivered that stern letter. And Paul was awaiting Titus to come back and tell him how it was received. And Titus eventually comes back and meets back up with Paul at the end of chapter 7. And he, he relates to him how the Corinthians had not only repented of their sin, but also how the hearts of the Corinthians had been knit to Titus and Titus's heart had been knit to the Corinthians. And so Paul writes here in chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, he says, But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care that I have for you. Through this previous time of ministry, their hearts were knit together. He says, For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. Titus volunteered for this, and the Corinthians no doubt were celebrating it. This was someone they knew, someone they knew recently, someone they trusted, someone they loved who was a part of the collection of this offering. Paul reminds them that Titus is a part of this so that they would have trust. But Titus and Paul weren't the only two on the team. There also was another. There was one that Paul calls the famous brother. He calls him this in verses 18 and the first part of 19. He says, with him, with Titus, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches. Now, we're familiar with famous people today. And in our culture, there are people who are famous for being famous, right? This is kind of one of the things that happens in our world. There are people who are famous for being famous. But, but this famous brother was not a Kardashian. He was not famous for being famous. He says this is a brother who is famous among all the churches. Why? He was famous because of his preaching of the gospel. This was someone who was known. And he was known to the churches for his preaching of the gospel. Now, which churches was he known by? Well, remember the context. Paul here is talking about this offering that is being collected from Macedonia and from Achaia. And the area of Macedonia would have included the churches of Thessalonica, Berea, and Philippi. It is most likely that what Paul is saying here is he says... The, there's one who is assisting in the collection and the distribution of these offerings who is famous in Macedonia for his preaching of the gospel. Now, who is this famous brother who is preaching the gospel in Macedonia? Well, friends, we don't know for sure. His name is not shared here. But 
There is some good tradition backed up by some clues in Scripture that this very well may have been Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Uh, We believe that because Luke joined Paul's traveling team whenever he left from Troas and went into Europe back in Acts chapter 16. We know that because for the first time in the book of Acts, it goes from they to we. And so Luke, who is the clear author of the book of Acts, is a we with Paul beginning in Acts 16. They go from Troas to Europe, they end up in Philippi, and from that point on, the language shifts, goes back from we to they, because Paul keeps going, but apparently Luke stayed in Philippi. All the way until Acts chapter 20, when Paul leaves from Philippi to take the offering back to Jerusalem, and it becomes a we again. So that means that Luke would have spent an extended period of time in Philippi, in the churches of Macedonia. Doing what? Ministering in Jesus' name. Proclaiming the gospel. Luke was so famous in his ability to proclaim the gospel that he ends up being commissioned by this guy named Theophilus to record the events of Jesus' life, the gospel of Luke, and the story of the early church, the book of Acts. So this famous brother, we don't know for sure, but it very well could have been Luke. But beyond his name, the most important thing for us to remember is that this is someone who was famous, who was well-known, who was appointed by. They laid hands on him. They raised their hands and said, that's the guy we want to go and represent us of the churches. Who? The churches of Macedonia, most likely. So if Titus was familiar to the Corinthians, this famous brother was the one who was representing the churches of Macedonia. But the team was not just Paul and Titus and Luke. There's another member of the team. Paul talks about in verse 22 that there is another one who he calls our brother. He says, and and with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. There's another guy who had great skill in this area, in the area of finances, who had, who had volunteered to go. And he's somebody who was one of Paul's brothers, a close companion of his. Who is this brother? Well, again, we don't know. But friends, it's very possible that this was talking about Timothy. Anybody ever heard of Timothy? Yeah, we've heard of Timothy. We've heard of Titus. We've heard of Luke. These were key figures in the early church. Timothy was from the Galatian region. And perhaps he was representing their interests in the delivery and administration of this offering. But what do we see Paul doing in these mentions? He wants them to know that this offering is being cared for by people they knew, people they were connected to, people across these churches, to make sure that it would both get there and be used for the purpose for which it was collected. Paul is building trust through these funds by letting them know about the team. It's interesting, in Acts chapter 20, verses 4 to 6, a passage I referenced just a minute ago, uh, this collection of people are talked about to have traveled with Paul on this journey. Sopater the Berean, again, Berea, one of the churches of Macedonia, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Segundus, Thessalonica, again, one of the churches of Macedonia, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychius and Trophimus, They went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed, speaking here of Luke, 
We sailed away from Philippi. Where were they sailing to? They were sailing back to Jerusalem to deliver this gift. Friends, Paul goes to these great lengths to introduce them to the team so that they would have a comfort level that the offering collected would be well cared for and used for the purpose for which it was collected. It's interesting what he says. He says about these, these men who had gathered on this team. He says, as for Titus, my partner and fellow worker for your benefit, and as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. They were messengers. They were representatives of the body who had come together as a part of this team to deliver this offering. So Paul argues for them to have trust in this offering collection and distribution because of the team that he brought with him. But he actually mentions a couple other things. He doesn't just mention the team. He also talks about the theme. He talks about the theme for for the general ways in which these funds would be used. They would be used for ministry, Paul says. He says, and not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us. It was ministry that these funds, this grace gift, would be used for. And Paul wanted them to remember that. They weren't just collecting this for their own comfort. They were collecting this offering for the work of Christ in the world. But he also wants them to see and highlight the dream. What's the big goal? Why, would, why does this ministry matter? Well, Paul lets them know This ministry dream was that the Lord might be glorified through this work. And not only that the Lord might be glorified, but that the goodwill of believers might be shown for one another. Paul says, I want the world to know your love for the Lord and your love for others as we deliver this gift. Friends, Paul goes through all of these things, the team, the theme, and the dream, in order to build trust through this offering for them to understand how it was being used. This is why he says in verse 20 and 21, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. He wants to be above board. He wants them to be proud of how it is being handled. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, not just that God would know, but also in the sight of men, that the Corinthians and the Macedonians and the Asians would all feel good about this offering. See, friends, this was Paul's desire. And by having faith, by having trust that it was going to be used for good purpose, ultimately Paul did this to inspire them to give. We see in verse 24, to give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. They had, they had made a commitment to give, and Paul wanted them to go ahead and have the trust to make this gift and to do so on the basis of the reasons that he had just provided. And so, friends, this is how Paul communicated with the Corinthians. And I think it's helpful for us to remember that at Wildwood, we don't just see um, the Scripture as a historical record. It is a historical record. These events really happen. But it also is instruction for us today. So if Paul felt the need to 
share how money was being managed with the church in Corinth, might we also at Wildwood need to share with you how the funds that are collected through Wildwood are administered so that you might have some confidence in our handling of the offerings that are given here. And so that's what I want to do. I want to talk a little bit about building trust today through the the funds that are given through Wildwood, that we also might be honorable in both the Lord's sight and in your sight in the handling of these funds. So what does that look like for us? Well, first of all, I want you to know about our team. At Wildwood, we have a team of elders. Uh, Our elders are uh, lay people. There are nine lay people, two staff who serve as elders at Wildwood. Ultimately, the leader of Wildwood is Jesus, but under Jesus, there is a board of elders that have been appointed here to help administer and lead the church. Now, some of those elders are even present here in the room, and so I know you're going to love it that I'm asking you to do this, but I know I at least see Phil here. Would you just stand up, Phil? Phil Kemp is the chairman of our elder board. We, you know, we're scattered across three services, and so uh, in the other services, there'll be others. Thanks, Phil, um, who, who are here this morning. But our, our lay elders, every year in the summertime, approve a budget for the year for the church. Um, and so... Where does, where does that budget that they are approving come from? Well, we have a set of staff people who oversee ministry areas. And many of them are working with great volunteer teams that help put together ministry budgets for the year. That then come to our elder board and then that budget is approved. Um, if you want to know who our elders are and our staff are, go to our website. Under the About Leadership tab, you can see who all of those folks are. But they're part of the areas of responsibility are to make sure that we set the priorities for the finances. And then that those finances are being used for those purposes. We actually have an outside accounting firm that every month kind of looks over our finances to make sure that we are spending according to the categories that that we have designated where the money should go for the year. And then those updates are given to our staff to make sure that we stay on mission and on point and accountable before God and man for the resources that God has entrusted to us. Um, It's also interesting to note, you, you may, some of you know this, some of you don't. I want you to know that I have no idea what anybody gives. I have no idea. Uh, and I tell you that because I want you to know that that's true of our staff. Now, we, we do have a church administrator. We do have a couple of financial people who look over those things, who know those details so that you can get a giving report at the end of the year. Amen? Right? So we, we know that that is true. But I don't know what anybody gives. And this is why that's, that's critical. That doesn't impact any care that we provide as a congregation doesn't impact it. Now, I I tell you that today, not to glory in us, but just so that you know, so that you know that we love you and care for you regardless of any financial issue. Um, We have a team, and I I want you to, to be aware of this team so that you would also have some confidence and some trust in the way that we handle the resources at Wildwood. Second thing I want you to know is our theme. What's, what's our, our mission as a church? Our mission as a church is that we are following Jesus together to the glory of God. And as we think about following Jesus together to the glory of God, we, we think about four fours, four areas where we have an opportunity to invite people to follow Jesus with us. We're for the church. We're for those of us around here to disciple the church. We're, we're for the community to take the gospel around the Oklahoma City metro area and right here in Norman. 
where we're for the next generation, for children and students and college students to pass on the gospel to them, and we're for the nations to mobilize resources, to partner with those around the world who are proclaiming the gospel in areas where there is great need. Friends, those priorities are how we get our budget. They're, they're, they're what we're looking at as we put together our budget for the year. And again, our budget year, our fiscal year, begins every August, on August 1st. So just in a couple of weeks, our fiscal year is going to begin. And if you're curious how these priorities show up in our budget, we have a pie chart of how our budget is spread out. And you can stop by the gathering hall at the welcome desk today or any Sunday and ask to see that, to see how... The resources that are gathered are going towards that purpose. See, part of how we have trust and confidence here is not just that we have a team that oversees it, but that we have a theme for where it goes. Not only that, we also have a dream. We have a dream. And the dream that we have is that these resources that are invested financially would go for the glory of God. That God would be glorified, not us. I'm a little reluctant even to share all of what I've just shared because I don't want you to think that we're celebrating us in any way. But I'm just trying to follow the pattern of what Paul said so that you have an understanding of how finances are managed here at Wildwood. We desire that God is glorified, but we also desire that there is goodwill among us, that there are resources in your hands that help you to be generous as the Lord has led you. That's why if you go to our, our website at wildwoodchurch.org slash give, we have a, a best-in-class web partner in PushPay that, that really helps us have security in the way that funds are handled online and makes it possible for people to give financially with a, with a level of confidence electronically as well as the way we handle things here in the, book, in the building. But friends, I, I want you to, to know how the funds are handled and used here, just as Paul did with the Corinthians, so that you might have some trust that as we give, these resources are being used for the glory of God. That's one thing that's important for us to see from these verses. There's a second thing that's important for us to see. And that second thing that I want us to see is this. It's a gracious reminder to give graciously. A gracious reminder to give graciously. It's difficult to say that in one service. It's really difficult to say it in three services and to say it many times. So thankfully I got through it the first two times. We'll see how it goes. But it's a tongue twister, but it's an important thing. It's a gracious reminder. See, Paul is very gracious towards the Corinthians. He's leaning into them. He is speaking life to them. He's not coming at them and taking a hard swing about their generosity or lack thereof. He's coming to them and inviting them to go ahead and follow through and participate as they desire to follow through and participate in their hearts. He's being gracious to them and giving them a reminder to give. Now we see this as we look at the verses in chapter 9. He says in chapter 9 verses 1 and 2, he says, It's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Paul says, we have a history together, and that history involves us seeing you making a commitment to be generous, to give towards this offering for the saints. He says, I I, I heard you say a year ago of your interest, and so I went and I shared that generosity that you have promised to the churches in Macedonia. And so the churches in Macedonia 
have been excited and they have given as well. So Paul remembers what had already been stirring in the hearts of the Corinthians. But after that, he continues on and, and he, says, he says this. He says, but, but I'm, I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said that you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and they find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you've promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. Do you sense the grace that Paul has for the Corinthians here? They had said, we want to give. Paul took their testimony of their desire to give, and he shared it with the church in Macedonia. Now, the church in Macedonia, was it richer or poorer than the church in Corinth? It was poor, much poorer. And yet, they had already collected their offering. They had already given sacrificially. And now, some brothers from Macedonia were coming, accompanying Titus and others, to collect the offering at Corinth. And Paul is saying, because they had been told of your promise of generosity, if they show up and you're not ready to give, that'll be embarrassing for everybody. So Paul very graciously sends word ahead and says, I want you to be ready for when they come so that you can give as you have promised. So he graciously gives them this opportunity. He doesn't want them to be scrambling to give on the the weekend that the Macedonians arrive. He wants them to go ahead and be ready to give so that they're not giving with any appearance of compulsion in any way. Now, this picture of graciously inviting them to give, I think is one that we need to examine for us. See, when we think about being graciously reminded to give, I want you to know this is how I view it. This is how I view it. I believe that I know your desire. Now, I know you might be like, oh, come on, pastor. Well, I do. I really do. I I don't know in every area, but in this area, I know your desire. Because if you have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, not only have your sins been forgiven and you've been connected to God forever, but I also know that the Holy Spirit has come to reside within your life. And what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you is shifting and shaping your desires. So that at a core level, you desire to follow Christ And Christ is generous. So I know you have a desire for generosity. So I want you to know that when I talk about finances, I'm not coming to you trying to convince you of something that you don't already want to do. I'm just merely sharing an opportunity for you to participate in what you most desire. In that sense, we might say it this way. For a pastor to talk to his believing congregation about giving, it's not a eat your vegetables conversation. It's an enjoy your filet mignon with peppercorn sauce on top. And if you're a vegetarian, flip that around. Um, But what I'm saying is, when we talk about giving, we're talking about leaning into something that we instinctively, supernaturally, through the work of the Holy Spirit, long to be a part of, long to do. And so we just make a gracious reminder. And that gracious reminder, friends, is not just to recognize the desire, but also to plan to act on that desire, to plan to give, to plan to live generously and sacrificially. This is what the Spirit is leading each of us to in our lives.
Now, one way that we can participate in this is by letting know our desires related to the mission fund offering. Now, all month long, we've been talking about this. So if you've been with us all month, then this is going to be something that you're already aware of. But at Wildwood, over the last 12 months, um, you all have given generously. And from the offerings that you have already given, we have set aside some extra money that we want to send forward towards some mission-focused projects around the world that our global outreach folks have identified. So what, what are those projects and, and, and how do we connect? Well, what we want you to do is we want you to look over these projects as you've done each week and let us know the percentage that you would like to see of the offering we're going to give going to each of these projects. Projects like evangelism with the Jesus film in Brazil, uh, relief efforts with Samaritan's Purse around the world, Bible translation with Wycliffe in Indonesia, church planning with our partner David Robles in Spain, leadership training with a large uh, seminary in the Middle East helping to train pastors. These are all strategic initiatives that have been identified. And, and we want your help, not in, in giving more towards these things, but we, at this time, we just want you to help us know how you would like to see the funds that have already been collected, distributed among these projects. Even if you've already voted, feel free to vote again. We've already had 200 different families, just about, who have either filled out the insert in their bulletin or have gone online to fill out the form at wildwoodchurch.org slash fund. You'll also find more information about each of the projects there. Um, but we would love, uh, over the next couple of weeks, uh, for to, to hear from you along how these funds should be invested. And then on Baptism Sunday, on August the 6th, we'll have the privilege of announcing to all of us how how these funds will be invested. But we just wanted to make sure that you were aware of these opportunities as a gracious reminder for how we can participate in what the Lord is doing. Would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to, to gather today and to lift up your name. Thank you for this passage that um, is, is really more technical in some ways, but it's beautiful in so many others as it reminds us of the importance of being above board and having great integrity in the handling of resources. Lord, may, may we at Wildwood um, continue to have integrity with the handling of resources, that we would trust you for both the direction of those things and the administration of them. And Lord, we pray today that as we gather, that you would just uh, be leading us to take the desire to give that is in our hearts and connect it to the ways that you want us to give it. Thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.